Welcome back to another episode of the Paris 21 podcast, Data for the People. My name is Johannes Jütting, and I'm very honored to have today Anna Lerner with me. Uh, she is the Program and Partnership Manager, Social Impact at Facebook. Hello, Anna. Hi, Johannes. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you in this show, and um, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you mentioned there that you are a global nomad. You have been living in four different continents. So I was just wondering at the outset of our conversation, where do you live in times of this ever ongoing pandemic? Oh, it's a good question. Uh, I wish I was still on the beaches of Mozambique, but uh, that's not where I am currently. Uh, <laughs> I was based in, in California in Palo Alto for my job for the last three years. But in March last year, we actually picked up our bags and traveled to Maine, where my husband is from. It looks really just like Sweden. Similar coastline, similar forests, similar weather, a little bit less snow. It has a lot of space. I have three kids, so it has a lot of space outdoors. Yeah, we've been able to kind of weather the pandemic reasonably well because we are up here kind of in the forest, isolated. Well, I'm glad to hear you are safe and sound. And uh, do you miss the office? I mean, if you see any films with from these uh, modern tech companies where people drink coffee and listen to music, so everybody is happy in the office. It's a good question. So yes, our offices are very similar, first of all. Uh, I, I really miss the food. We have amazing people who make sure that we have healthy and uh, delicious tasting food everywhere, which is a huge privilege, but I, I do miss that. I really miss colleagues. There's You can do so much remotely. You can be connected. But those type of like joint brainstorms, when you want to come up with new ideas and like look at a problem from a different angle, that's kind of hard. Yeah, that's something we can very much relate to. <laughs> After a year basically working from home, um, the colleagues and being in touch on a daily basis only via Zoom and Teams is, is, is not doing the trick. Link it to the current conversation about data. I assume you would be also supporting the perception that we need more evidence-based policy making and data is a crucial input into evidence-based policy making. And seeing from that angle, the pandemic has in, in some way really helped to have conversations about the need for having good data, quality data. And on the other hand, people are saying they get completely confused. There's so many data out there. There's quality issues, there are trust issues, people say different things based on different data. So do you think that data for public good, data for social good, has the crisis helped with it or is it just a curse? I dedicated essentially my whole career to, you know, millennium development goals and other sustainable development goals and recognizing how far we've fallen back throughout this last year, year and a half. It's, it's very sobering. So that I'm struggling with that part. But to your specific question, I think it might have helped in, in some ways. We do a lot of, you know, unconventional data gathering and, and processing and, and sharing in, you know, highly aggregated privacy preserving ways. And I, I think there's been this argument for a long time. I mean, Facebook started in, I think, 2016, we started our data for good project, which has been finding ways to leverage insights that we have on our through our platforms and serve humanitarian and development organizations, particularly at a time of crisis, when you need data super fast in order to kind of inform the actions you take, uh, earthquakes, forest fires, etc. And there's, I feel like there's been a group of people who've been excited about that first responders, we have amazing partner direct relief, for example, that 
is a massive user of, of our disaster data, migration data in real time, stuff like that has been kind of, I will say early adopters have been very excited about this for a while. I do think that the pandemic has probably made or forced more, less early adopters to see the value in this type of data. I, th I think of, for example, surveying. So we're running several surveys on our platform. And the COVID surveys are obviously the biggest ones that have been instrumental for how governments have been able to prepare or even predict how hospitals will be filled. My team is running a gender equality survey. We were able to get data on how COVID had impacted women and men differently, specifically asking around, you know, have you been burdened with additional unpaid household work or unpaid care work? There's definitely been more interest and a bigger uptake of this type of non-traditional digital data, if you will. Often people ask, so what? I mean, basically you collect more data, but will it really change lives? I understand you also contributing to it, have set up uh, online courses. What do we need to do that this is leading to policy change as well for the better? We had planned to run this gender survey before the pandemic. This is something we committed to at the UN General Assembly last two years ago. Sheryl Sandberg, our, our COO, came there and talked to a bunch of gender experts, and we agreed that this was a good way forward for Facebook to contribute to the SDGs. Then the pandemic hit, and we were fortunate enough to be able to pivot pretty quickly the terms of questions we were supposed to ask and add in COVID impact questions. A lot of the findings were... Some findings were not so surprising. One finding that I just want to highlight because I, I was quite surprised about this. Globally, almost a third or around 30%, a little bit plus and minus depending on country, of all the women were concerned about food security. Also in high income countries in the OECD, if we survey people and we get access to those numbers and we're quickly able to kind of disseminate the results and the findings, policymakers should be able to embed these in their pandemic response packages. And you asked specifically how we make sure that the data actually lands or, or trickles into these policy documents. That is really difficult. Let me add a point here. We did a survey last and late last year with, together with DevEx where they surveyed a bunch of international development experts. And most gender specialists who were included in the survey cited a lack of data literacy as one of their top barriers to utilizing gender data. And gender professionals also advocated for easier to use data. This kind of confirmed some of my thoughts that capacity and sort of accessibility are two really important pieces beyond just kind of supply of new data. In our team, we've tried to do some sort of basic gender data 101 trainings that we've made available free uh, for anyone to take. We've partnered with TechChange. And we've had really impressive numbers from people taking the course. A lot of them have gone on to integrate gender data in their projects afterwards. Another thing we've done recently is also to produce essentially visualizations. This is something I know that Paris 21 is also working on, just to kind of visualize how gender data makes an impact. So I think if we build capacity so people are able to use it, if we find ways to make the data easier to access, then we're probably likely to reach more people and, and more organizations that will be able to use these data sets.
Well, thanks very much for, for mentioning data literacy, a concept that we are engaging also more with as, as Paris 21. And we see that the empowerment of the users of data, the way you describe is exactly what is needed. And in that sense, I'm, I'm glad to hear very much. This is also something you and technology companies are thinking about. I just wanted to ask you one other question about your perception about um, official statistics and the role of uh, NSOs. To some extent, um, how you think that technology companies like Facebook and other gaffers, so-called, can contribute to the SDGs and to data production, complementing eventually what the uh, core statistical and data community is, is, is providing. I'll probably speak here more maybe as in my personal capacity, but throughout my career, I feel like I come to believe very strongly that perfect is the enemy of the good. Sometimes there's this idea within the statistic community that it like you, you hold so hard on hold the methodologies that you sometimes overlook insights and contributions that could be helpful, certainly not replacing like the official methodologies and, and the formal way of doing things, but complementing it. So I actually have, I have four ideas that I'd like to share or four kind of approaches that we've been using. So one, obviously build new data sets that are more granular and timely than the data that's currently available. As you know, as this community knows very well, there are household surveys that are being used as baselines for you know, national policies that are over 10 years old. The world has changed a lot, particularly in countries where they have very outdated household service. Those are probably the countries that have changed the most. And then another one would be to develop cost-effective tools to help facilitate the collection and analysis on a global scale. So here I'm thinking a little bit about these surveys that we have launched. Facebook has also been running the COVID symptom survey with several university partners. I think that's the biggest like global survey of its kind, like massive, massive amounts of people were able to reach over a very short amount of time. And they're very, very cost effective um, and at least currently very COVID safe. Third, we, this is what we just talked about, build data analytics skills. There's no point in generating all these data sets if no one uses them. We've done everything from sort of basic data literacy trainings we're giving, for example, we're giving Care International some data capacity building grants, which in their theory of change, they believe that will increase the use of data for decision-making across the whole organization. Or then more specific and advanced skills. Facebook has developed this really interesting open source machine learning library called PyTorch for the, the development community. How can we start making use of these sort of cutting edge solutions? And then the last one would be facilitate two-way information flows and data collection through messenger services. I mean, it's really interesting how you can kind of bring in this idea of citizen-generated data through messaging or information exchange between public service providers and their constituents through these uh, messenger services. In many cases, depending on sort of cost for data or et cetera, it can be really cheap for people to get access to their information this way um, and they're able to ask direct questions it can be service ratings for patient feedback or quality of appointment visits there are all kinds of ways you can have two-way information flows which a generates data and insights about the programs you're running but also helps citizens provide opinions and, and feedback to public services learning together um, with tech partners i think is is a good way forward
following up what you just said in terms of civil society produced data, citizen generated data, combining it with technology. Do you see um, that this will come naturally now as we go forward for the next couple of years? Excellent question. You know, my first job essentially was in Mozambique. I spent five years in Mozambique. At that point, there was this notion in Mozambique that having access to a bike in very rural, poor villages was a sign of development progress. So there were lots of efforts from donors to kind of go out in these villages and count the numbers of bikes. And then it moved from donors going there to villagers. Can you count the bikes and report back into them? Some years ago, there was a startup that asked people around the world to take pictures of gas prices, for example. Walk by the gas station, take a picture and send it to us. The machine could start to analyze the number of bikes in the backgrounds of selfies. So I think there is this new opportunity to leverage photos, videos, and other type of media that is becoming more frequently shared in the world as inputs and sources of development and socioeconomic data. I don't think we, we have clear answer quite yet, but there are some efforts to have people submit pictures of the most valuable item in their home, for example, as a way to gauge income levels in different provinces. Thank you so much, Anna, and wishing you all the best. And I'm sure we are staying in contact. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. It was, it was a lot of fun.